Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Get your Bibles out and, uh, or your phones or whatever, and we're just going to pray, and we're going to jump right into Ephesians. Lord, we thank you this morning that we have uh, experienced fellowship with one another. We've experienced fellowship with you. Now, Lord, we want to uh, have you come in and change us through your word, and we invite that process right now. Yield to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Let's read it. It says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now, that, your translation may say, slaves, obey your masters. Isn't that a great place to just start off a message, right? It's like, we get right to this point. Okay, like, Lord, okay, what, what are we going to do with this? Well, we got to understand that in, uh, I mean, we've, we're familiar with slavery in our country's history. Uh, throughout uh, the world's history, there's been all sorts of situations it was no different in uh, Paul's time. Uh, in fact, there were all kinds of different situations of slavery that we can see in the Bible where different people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were, were captured from their homeland and taken to a different land and they were made servants or even slaves of another country. We see that in the Israelites when the Israelites were captured uh, by the Egyptians and they were made slaves for hundreds of years. And so all throughout the history of the Bible, we see this topic come up and throughout uh, the history of the world. Uh, and in Paul's day, some people will estimate that in the Roman Empire, as many as one-third to one-half of the people were actually in some form of slavery, whether that be servitude in a house or slavery by different means or born into slavery. And so I want to paint a picture here that this was pretty widespread and common, just kind of how things worked in that economy and in that situation in life. And so Paul begins to speak to that. Uh, Paul begins to deal with this subject. Now, some people may be like, well, why doesn't Paul just come right out and attack it and say, this is evil, don't do this. He, he, he sits here and he says, oh, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Why, why would he do that? Well, we see many times in Scripture where Jesus and Paul and different people, uh, leaders in the Bible, they don't necessarily go directly after institutions or directly after uh, the, the government in any sort of way or the way things are set up. What they do go after, though, and what Jesus always went after, what Paul's advocating here is, is this, that no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can have a right heart before God. And he's trying to attack the evils of different things from within, and it all starts with the heart. Because he knows that if he can change the hearts of those who are found in that situation, and if he can change the hearts of those who are over those in that situation, that eventually everything is going to change. And that's exactly what began to happen. And so he begins to make treatment, uh, uh, begins to make progress against the treatment of how things worked in that society. And so this is how it starts off. It's not necessarily a fun situation. But here's the truth. How do you guys believe that no matter what situation you find yourself in right now, you can have a right heart before God? It doesn't matter if you're in an unfair situation. It doesn't matter if it's an ungodly situation. It doesn't matter where you're at. You can always find yourself and find a way to have a right heart before God. Now, in our day, we don't see so much of that here in our suburban culture. But what we do say, and this is where I, w I really want to take this and apply it to our lives today, because we don't have that situation. Many people here aren't in a situation of slavery, but here, here's the, the situation for most of us. How many of you guys work? 
for a living. You do something for a living, okay? How many of you guys have a boss of some sort? Uh, any type of way, there's, there's uh, somebody you answer to in some way. See, if we were to translate that into our culture today, we could read it like this. Employees, obey your bosses. And some of you are like, wait a minute. No, no, surely. He can't, no, no. But no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can have a right heart. I think about a guy uh, by the name of Joseph in the Old Testament. How do you guys remember Joseph? He was a guy that actually was a part of a family business. He had, uh, you know, his brothers, his father, and all that. They were in this family business together, and the family business didn't go so well. His brothers didn't like Joseph after a while, and so what did they do? They wanted to kill him. The older brother spares him and says, no, let's, they put him in a pit. They said, no, let's, let's, let's sell him into slavery to this other country, which was real nice of them, by the way, right? And so they go, and they, they sell him. So Joseph Joseph gets taken away, and he becomes a slave and a servant. Well, he, he didn't go so well in the family business, but he gets into this other situation, and he does pretty well for himself. He, he eventually becomes the leader over this master's house. He becomes so well-known for being an excellent person and having the right heart. And even in this situation where he found himself in an unfair situation, in a brand-new situation, he still has the right heart. God promotes him. But how many of you guys know the story? Things didn't go so well for him in that new career move for, for him. And the boss's wife accuses him of a rape that he didn't commit. And so he gets thrown into prison. So his career isn't going so well right now. Now he's in prison. Well, in prison... He does pretty well for himself, and he gets promoted even overseeing things within the prison and how it works and everything, and here comes this guy who has a dream, and this guy has a dream, and, and, and Joseph gives the interpretation, but he says, hey, when you get out, you're going to get out of prison. The dream is confirmed. You get out of prison. Here's the thing. Remember me, because you're the key to my promotion out of prison. Well, the guy gets out of prison. He forgets all about Joseph. Joseph gets passed up for the promotion out of prison. How many of you guys have ever felt like that before? It's like somebody got, just passed you up for a promotion. Well, things didn't go so well for him, but actually after a while he gets out of prison and you guys know the end of the story. He ends up eventually becoming ruler, uh, second in command over the whole country and blah, blah, you can go back and read the whole story yourself. The point is this, Joseph found himself in so many situations that were unfair. So many situations where he had to choose if he was going to have a right heart or not. And he developed the right heart, he kept the right heart, and he eventually became Begin to give glory to God through the prophecy of the dream and all sorts of things. Now, here's another kind of slavery that happened in Scripture, and I'm going to suggest happens today. Okay, you ready for this? It's, a, it's in the Bible. You can see it in the New Testament many times. You can see it in different parables and stuff. But here's how it would work. You don't have enough money, so you borrow some money. And all of a sudden, your situation changed, and you can't pay the money back. And so because of that, you would have to sell yourself to the person you owed the money to until you could work off the amount of money that you borrowed. Now, for some people, this would mean the rest of their life because they would go shopping and their eyes was too big for their wallet and they would get too much accumulation. And how do you guys know we, they didn't have Visa back then? You know, where it's like, okay, well, this Visa card's filled up. I'm going to get this other one with zero interest. I'm going to transfer it over there. And they didn't have that. They didn't have bankruptcy. And so they would have to work and work and work until they paid off their debt. Does this sound a little bit familiar to anybody here today? 
How many of you guys have found yourself in a situation where you're like, I feel like I'm just working and working and I'm a slave to my job. I'm a slave to this debt that I've accumulated. And so I feel like I'm trapped. I can't go do whatever I want because I feel like I am just a slave to this situation. I'm just working to pay the bills. How many of you guys have ever felt like that before at one point in your life? Just be honest. I have. I felt like that. It's like, man, I'm just paying the bills. Now, On average, they say that a person will spend up to one-third of their waking life at work. One-third. How many of you guys believe that if you're going to spend one-third of your waking life doing anything, you ought to get God's best in that situation, right? Anybody want to hear what that's like? So here's my challenge to you today. I'm going to shotgun some things at you today, and I want you to just, just ask the Holy Spirit, at least show me one thing today. It may be different for each person here, but just show me one thing that may be a key to me having a right heart in a certain area, that may be an answer to a question I'm having right now. Just Holy Spirit, in fact, let's just take a moment right now. Let's just invite him to do that. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come and to to reveal to us today, again, by your word, challenge us, change us, because I know many people are struggling in this area of their life right now. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be peace, comfort, wisdom, and direction in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you guys, uh, you have a job right now? Anybody just go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you guys, let me just speak to some people. How many of you are stay at home? Maybe you stay at home, all right? You don't necessarily get paid for that. But how many of you guys know they work a lot, right? And at the same time, if you're at home, you can feel the same pressures and the same stresses as well. So this message is really for everybody today. And just to highlight a little bit uh, about how we can sometimes feel the grind of this, uh, this video was suggested for me to play for you guys just for, for a little fun. So let's roll it. Corporate accounts payable, Nina speaking. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot. But uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And uh, I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I I, I have the memo. I've got it. It's right Hello, Phil. What's happening? Um, I came by here yesterday. Milton. Hi. Uh, could you turn that down just a little bit? But I, I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume from 9 to 11. Yeah, no, no, I, I know you're allowed to. I, uh, I was just thinking maybe like a, you know, personal favor. Well, I, 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 I told Bill that if, if Sandra's going to listen to her headphones while she's, while she's falling, then I should be able to listen to the radio while I'm collating. Uh-huh. So I don't see why okay. I should have to turn down the radio because yeah, all right, okay. I enjoy listening at a reasonable volume. Thanks. From 9 to 11. Hi, Peter. What's happening? We need to talk about your TPS reports. Yeah, the cover sheet, I know. I know. Uh, Bill talked to me about it. Yeah. Did you get that memo? Yeah, I got the memo. And I understand the policy, and the problem is just that I forgot the one time, and I've already taken care of it, so it's not even really a problem anymore. Ah, yeah. 
It's just we're putting new cover sheets on all the TPS reports before they go out now, so if you could go ahead and try to remember to do that from now on, that'd be great. All right. Uh, how many of you guys, you feel that pressure sometimes? <laughs> it's like, what is going on here? And sometimes, I mean, you guys ever listen to Dave Ramsey? He shares that scripture that the borrower really is slave to the lender. I mean, that's a scripture out of Proverbs, right? Sometimes we feel that way. Well, uh, how many of you guys ever get tired of that? Let's just be honest. How many of you guys just, just be real before God? We ever get tired of that? All right, we do. We all do get tired of it. Uh, I remember when I was working construction for my dad. We were pretty fast workers. He built in a hard work ethic into us. We could build houses really, really fast. And so eventually my dad stopped having to be on the job site. And he decided that he was going to create this system that he called the bonus system. And how it worked was like this. If we could make his chunk of money first and we get our regular paycheck, but if we made his money, whatever we could churn out faster or more on top of that, by building the houses faster and all that, we would get to keep and split among ourselves. And so we were really fast workers. We were really motivated. And so we thought, man, this is awesome. And so we worked really hard. And man, there was a lot of money for us to split left over after each house because we were really hard workers. Well, after a while, we kind of, man, we're kind of tired of, of working so hard. I mean, we're making a lot of good money and stuff, and so kind of took a little easy one lunch break and decided that, yeah, we'll just take a little bit longer lunch break. And so we took a little longer lunch break. Pretty soon it turned into an hour lunch break. Pretty soon somebody brought out a football uh, next day or two, and we started throwing around the football. Pretty soon that turned into a football game, regular football game at lunch break. Pretty soon the football game started lasting two hours a day. And pretty soon that turned into dirt clawed fights for some odd reason which degraded later on into nail gun fights, which is, you've got to be really agile to dodge nails while you're on a ladder two stories up in the air. And, and uh, so seriously, so we're doing this. Firecrackers brought out at one point. It's just really a fun thing if somebody's using the Johnny on the spot and you drop some in the... It really is a surprising adventure for whoever's in there. And so, uh, I don't think that's in my notes. Okay, um, but we just, I mean, and, this, and out of this, and we were still making our money. We were still making our dad's money, my boss's money, but we just weren't making the margin. And we're like, and this famous phrase came up that we said over and over and over again. Whenever we'd find ourselves goofing off too long and, and we're like, well, man. And we would finally just say, well, we're only hurting ourselves. We'd goof off a little bit more. Well, we're only hurting ourselves. We're not hurting our boss. We're making him his money. And as strange as that sounds, you know, we were fine with that. But we're only hurting ourselves. And so the question is, and I have for you today, because some of you guys identify with this. It's like I'm making, I'm doing the job. I'm getting the job done. My boss can't complain. I'm doing, and so I could be working harder. I could be doing whatever. But here's the question. Are we only hurting ourselves? Here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Are we working for our glory or for his glory? Are we working for our glory or for his glory? Now, some of us don't care about our glory. <laughs> it's like, I don't care. I want to play football. I just want to throw dirt clods at my brother. And that's, that's it. But there's a bigger picture. And that's what Paul is laying out here. So let's go in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. He says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, 
But as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Here it is. From the heart. Rendering service with goodwill. Here it is. As to the Lord and not to man. Are we working for our glory or are we working for his glory? So let me just say a couple things. First of all, number one is this. Work is not all bad. (laughs) Even though we get frustrated, even though you're in a situation right now where maybe, I mean, this is a real practical message here this morning, but work is not all bad. Some of us are of this idea that somehow, remember back when Adam was in the garden and Adam and Eve sinned and God said that, man, from now on, because of sin, it's going to be by the sweat of your brow and by the grit of your teeth that you're going to work and toil in the ground. So work is cursed. And so I don't want, and so so many of us are living our life trying to get out of work. Our goals are to one day not have to work. And and let me just say this, work is not all bad. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and keep it. I want you to see real carefully here that sin does not enter the picture until the next chapter. In other words, work is pre-curse, it's pre-fall, it's ordained by God, and it is possible, and it is a godly thing it, without sin being involved at all. It's not curse, it's actually a godly thing. How many of you guys believe that God created us with a purpose for a purpose, right? He created us with a purpose for a purpose. He, cre- he gives us tasks to do. He gives us assignments to do. They're not all just spiritual assignments, but they're practical things of the day in, the day out, faithfulness, service and making something, creating something, however God uses you to do that. I would say it this way. We're, we're even incomplete without it. So some of you, your goal may be, man, if, man, the dream is to never have to work again. I would say that is not a proper theology. There are seasons in life for that, but there are big seasons of our life where God has called us to be faithful, to serve to work, to provide for our family in a godly way. And it's a good thing because work is not all bad. And so because of that, because we're created with a purpose, he says, don't serve your masters or your bosses with just eye service. In other words, only doing the job when they're looking. Have you guys have ever done that before? You find like, okay, I did my job, but how many of you guys work harder when the boss is looking over your shoulder? Anybody? It's, I mean, it's just natural. It's just natural. Another way to look at that eye service is saying it this way. If you want to really honor Jesus in your work, don't just do what the eye can see. Do what their eyes may never see. Go beyond it. Why? Because you're not working for them. You're working for Jesus. You're working for him. You say, no, I'm not. I'm working for this idiot over here. No, there may be some middle management going on. But ultimately, Jesus is your boss. Now, if you're going to spend one-third of your waking life, man, it's time for... How many of you guys believe we ought to get our heart right in this area that we spend one-third of our waking life doing? Are we working for our glory or are we working for His glory? Work is not all bad. Now, let me say it this way. Work is not all good either. (laughs) Work is not all good. Because sometimes we just get caught up into it. So I have another clip to show you, which, by the way, these clips, these two clips that I'm showing you, just a disclaimer, I've not seen this movie. I'm showing it because I know you heathens have seen this movie. (laughs) And I haven't, but the clips are pretty funny. So let's watch it. 
So I was sitting in my cubicle today and I realized ever since I started working, um, every single day of my life has been worse than the day before it. So that means that every single day that you see me, that's on the worst day of my life. What about today? Is today the worst day of your life? Yeah. Wow, that's messed up. I'm sorry. Go on. Is there any way that you could sort of just sock me out so that, like, I, I don't know that I'm at work in here? Could I come home and think that I've been fishing all day or something? So, where do you uh, work, Peter? In a tech. And, yeah, what, what do you do there? I sit in a cubicle, and I update bank software for the 2000 switch. What's that? Well, see, they wrote all this bank software, and uh, to save space, they used two digits for the date instead of four, so like 98 instead of 1998. Uh, so I go through these thousands of lines of code, and uh, it doesn't really matter. I, uh, I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. You're just not gonna go? Yeah. Won't you get fired? I don't know. But I really don't like it, and uh, I'm not gonna go. <laughs> so you're gonna quit? Nuh-uh. Not really. Uh, I'm just gonna stop going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you decide all of that? About an hour ago. Really? Yeah. About an hour ago. <laughs> so are you gonna get another job? I don't think I'd like another job. <laughs> what are you gonna do about money and bills and... You know, I've never really liked paying bills. I don't think I'm gonna do that either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Work is not all good sometimes. Let me just give you some stats from my profession, what I do, okay? And just to show you, and I'm, I'm doing this for a reason, okay? Not just to depress you, okay? Um, 80%, from what I do, 80% believe that the pastoral ministry affects their family negatively. Eight out of 10 pastors? That's really crazy. Uh, according to one statistic, that pastors have the second highest divorce rate among all professions. I, I found that surprising. 80%, again, 80% of pastors say they have insufficient time with their spouse. 45.5% of pastors say that they've experienced a depression or burnout to the extent that they needed to take a leave of absence from ministry. How do you guys know? That's just some stats from what I do. Your situation may include all of those things. It may include a host of other things as well. Let me give you just a couple more. Uh, there was a study done that said that work-family conflict can increase poor physical health by 90%. Work stress can increase the risk of mortality by almost 20%. How many guys are just a little more stressed out? Thank you, Pastor Sean, for sharing that today. Yeah. Here's the truth I want us to wrestle with today. When we do work for the wrong reasons, we get the wrong results. And the reason why these things come is because we're doing work for the wrong reasons. And so we end up getting the wrong results. Let me just give you an example of this. Uh, just typically, stereotypically, men, I don't know what ladies do because I'm not one, but uh, men typically identify themselves or even define themselves by what they do. And so you can get some guys together in a room and it won't be 30 seconds to a minute of, of small talk before somebody says something like this, well, what do you do? 
and they will go ahead and say what they do. And as a part of what they do, there's a little bit of defining an identity in that. And if you're looking at your life and you get in a situation like that and, you don't, and you're like this guy on the video and you're like, I don't really like what I do, then there's this pressure to try to change what you do because what you do is defining who you are. And so it's easy for us, and it's this pressure, and we've all felt this pressure. It's not just guys, but we've all felt this pressure. Now, here's the truth. It's easy to go from working to provide for our families to working to fulfill our egos. It's easy. There's a fine line there. It's easy for us to go from working to to provide for our families to working to fulfill our egos. And work can actually become a false god that we serve. And it becomes the idol. It becomes the defining thing for us. And, and I, I'm, I'm sharing this because this is a tough message today. This is a strong message. You're like, man, I'm glad I showed up on this Sunday. No, this is, I mean, this is a deep root Sunday. This is a, one of those messages that we, I mean, it hits day to day where we are at. And if we want to truly be followers of Jesus, we have to wrestle with the tough issues in life. And so I know everybody's not in this situation, but many of you guys are dealing with this right now where you're doing the, the you're working day in and day out, and we've got to guard against this. Let me give you a shocking stat. I read this a couple weeks ago that, uh, 40, that uh, currently 42 individuals collectively have more wealth than 50% of the entire global population. So these first two rows across here, if we gathered those 42 people in the room, those 42 people would have more wealth than 50% of the world. That's crazy, isn't it? That's a crazy stat. Now, you may be saying, well, well Sean, I'm not like that. I'm not trying to go after that kind of crazy wealth. But somewhere along the line, ego gets involved. You know, you, you say, I'm not going after that, but I do have the spiritual gift of making money, right? <laughs> How do you guys want that gift? Anybody want that spiritual gift? It's in there somewhere, right? I want the spiritual gift of making money. What's wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with desiring to do that? And I would say, yes and no. Yes and no. There may be, but there may not be. Are people called to make money, to work, to make wealth? Yes, absolutely. How many, how many of you guys have known somebody maybe like that, that it just seems like, man, they just, whatever they touch, it just seems, I mean, it just seems like the hand is on them to produce Wealth, there's nothing wrong with that. Let me give you a metric, though. If you want to know whether you're one of those people in the kingdom of God that are, that are called to make wealth. Okay, you guys ready for this? This isn't going to be popular, so I'm just bracing you, okay? Here's the metric to know whether you are called to make wealth or not in the kingdom of God. To know if you're chasing money or not. And here it is. It's not how much you make that determines whether you are called to build wealth and to make wealth. It's how much you give. Because there are a lot of people who can make money. But again, we're not talking about outside the kingdom of God. We're talking about what does it look like inside the kingdom of God. It's not how much you make. Just because you have an ability to make money does not mean that you are called by God to do that. You just may be able to do that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so how do you do it? It's not how much you make that determines if you're called to this. It's how much you give. God may call you to make a lot of money. That's great. He may call you to enjoy a lot of wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. We see examples in Scripture of that all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. An abundance, all of those things. But I can tell you this. In the kingdom of God, if you are called to make wealth, you are called to give wealth. 
Let me say it again, because I just want to get a better amen just to feel like, like you guys are with me. In the kingdom of God, if you're called to make wealth, you are called to give wealth. Amen. And that's the truth. You say, well, that's not what I see out there. That's not what the 42 would do. Well, that's fine. But in the kingdom of God, this is how it works. It doesn't mean you give it, have to give it all away. And you have to, it just, I mean, you listen to the voice of God and you hold it with an open hand. You may be saying here this morning, you say, well, Pastor Sean, I give thousands and thousands of dollars. That's great. That's great. I, I fund the local church. I fund the, you know, orphans across. That's great. Here's, here's the thing. Here's another thing about the kingdom of God. Giving in the kingdom of God is never measured by amount. It's always measured by percentage. Because you may be giving a lot compared to someone else, but compared to the percentage that you have. You, you remember the story of the widow who put in the little coin? And Jesus said, she's given way more than all of you guys. Well, wait a minute, it was just a little. But for her, the percentage was everything. And so how do you know if you're called to do this and called to work in this area, what percentage are you giving? This isn't a message on money, by the way, guys. This is a message about our heart and in our work. Why, why, why do you say this sounds like a lot about money? It's not. It's because many of us are working our brains out trying to chase wealth when maybe we're not even called to make the wealth, or maybe we're making the wealth, but we're not using it in a way that is God-honoring. And because of that, there's stress, there's frustration, there's turmoil, and we wonder why. And so today, I just want to help you out with that. When we do work for the wrong reasons, we get the wrong results. And so God wants us to enjoy that. God wants us to enjoy things. And God may call you to do that. That's great. But how do you guys know in this area of work and life and family, there is never enough time to get everything done that you need to do, is there? There's never, let me just say it this way, there is never enough time to get everything done that everyone else thinks you ought to do, is there? Because everybody else has a list for you, right? How do you guys are married? You've got a list right there. You've got a list. I look, I get frustrated, man, because my to-do list on my phone, how many of you guys have to-do lists on your phone? You like are one of those check the box people. Anybody like that? Let me just see who the people are. Okay. I love to check them off. I'll even do stupid stuff. Like I will do something and then write it on my list so that I can check it off. <laughs> how many of you guys have ever done that before? Look at this. Look at this. I've done it because it just feels good. And so I get frustrated because my to-do list is never done. And if I have a to-do list that is never done, guess what that means? That means every day I'm going to have to make choices, right? It means I can't do everything. And so if we, if we want to follow God in every area of our life, it, it does mean choices. Now, most of us do it this way, though. We say, well, I'm going to make a list of priorities. You know, here's my priorities. And I'm going to, cha- I'm going to challenge you a little bit. See, priorities have this funny way of changing in different seasons and circumstances and situations. Here's what I'm going to suggest. If you've got to make a bunch of choices, which every one of us does, because there's not enough time to do everything we are, are supposed to do, we don't need priorities. What we really need are convictions. Because convictions are a little more stubborn than priorities. Here's what convictions do for us. Convictions narrow our options. Let me give you just one conviction that I have in my life and just illustrate how it's narrowed my options. Uh, in my life, I have a conviction that I will never be alone with another woman that is not my wife. Ever. I won't ride in a car. I won't be 
in an elevator. I won't do any, I won't be anywhere at any time. I mean, I have hilarious stories about how situations I've, you know, where, where I'm telling you, if, if you come up to the door, cause we have the doors locked throughout the week generally, uh, and, and people can knock on the door or whatever. If I'll be here by myself, somebody, I see somebody approaching the door, I will hide. I hide because I know I can't open the door because if I'm just in the building by myself, I can't open the door. So we got a phone number, call it, got a website. We'll, we'll set up an appointment. I won't, you say, well, what about if there's someone who really needs some counseling? Nope, there's gotta be someone else in the room. If it's really private and really, pri- nope, there's got to be someone. But why? Because it's a conviction of mine that I do not violate. We do a lot of crazy gymnastics around this building to make sure that, that we are not alone ever in the same building, at the same, the same room at the same time. It just won't happen. Why? It's a conviction. And so what does it do? It has narrowed my options. I can't do certain things. Not because of a priority, because a priority would maybe change based on, well, you know, it's okay this time. No, but a conviction that is deep. Some of us need some convictions in these areas of our life. And the conviction runs deep in what, what is my attitude towards work? What is my attitude towards money? What is my attitude towards my boss? And when you start to have convictions about what you will do for money and what you won't do, you see, every single one of us who has a job right now, we are simply telling, we're simply naming the price that we have. <laughs> That's what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. But some of us are making too high of a price in other areas of, of our life because we don't have convictions. And what we need to do, and this is how my brain works. It works a little funny. I realize that. You guys who come every week, you understand this. Uh, it works a little differently. But I think of it this way. I think we need to have our midi moment. What's a Mitty moment? How many of you guys have ever seen that movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Anybody ever seen that? Just raise your hand. How many of you guys have never seen the movie? Never seen the movie? Wow. Okay, after this, you guys are going to go home and watch this movie, okay, because it's a great movie. It's a guy, it's, just to give you this, the little plot, it's the guy who works in this, like, boring job day in and day out. And so because of that, he starts to kind of inside his imagination kind of have these adventures that happen on the inside. And eventually he starts to live these things out. And so basically he starts to discover that his life could be about a bigger purpose than just the day in and the day out. And so just to give you a little taste of that, let's, let's go ahead and roll. How can I help you today? Hi, I can't seem to leave a wink for someone. Okay, uh, I'm looking at your profile. You left a lot of this stuff blank. Well, I haven't really been anywhere noteworthy or mentionable. Have you done anything noteworthy, mentionable? Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? I just like zoned out for a second. We have ahead of us the privilege of publishing the very last issue of Life magazine. And for the final issue, we just received negative 25 from Sean O'Connell for the cover. It's 25. It's not there. I know. Maybe it's still on it. It had a sound I'm Walter. Meet Walter. Oh, are you coming? Yes, I'm not. Yes, I have to stay. What is it you call it when he goes into one of his little places? Oh, zoned out. You do that now and then. What's the matter? I lost the picture. You said no. 
crack the case. place it's why the airfare is only 84 dollars <laughs> all right so i i just kind of think that that moment i'm like that's a that's a midi moment like where all of a sudden he just wakes up on the inside and realizes that life is about something much bigger than just the day in and the day out here's what i want to challenge you with your life even right now Whatever you're at, whatever situation you're at, it's about a much bigger purpose. You may not have woken up to that yet, but it is about a much bigger purpose. It's more than just ambition, even. It's more than accomplishments. It's more than work accolades. There's something bigger that God wants to do. You don't have to have a, a midlife crisis to accomplish that. You can awaken to that right now to the adventure God has for you. A mini moment can happen even in the midst of your boring job. You don't have to change jobs. You don't have to do any of that. It's simply awakening to the fact that right now, wherever you are at, God has placed you there for a purpose. That God has something he wants you to accomplish. Let me, let me just say it again. Are we working for our glory or for his glory? It's not about what you're doing. It's about who you're doing it for. Do you realize some of you guys are stuck in a place right now and you think, why am I here? Is it possible that God has you where you're at? More for, it's more about the people you are with than what you are doing. Maybe it's more about the people you will meet than what your task is Right now, it's not about what you're doing. It's about the people you are around. Let's finish this up here. Ephesians chapter 6, 7 and 8. Rendering service with good, a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. I love this quote. I've said it a thousand times, but I'll say it again. It's from Wayne Cordero. He says this. We won't be held accountable for how much we've done, but for how much we've done of what he has asked us to do. We won't be accountable for how much we've done, but accountable for how much he, we've done of what he has account, uh, asked us to do. So let me just challenge you right now. If, if he hasn't asked you to build a big business, don't do it. If he hasn't asked you to take the promotion that's going to take time away from your family, don't do it. If he hasn't asked you to coast and to not be ambitious and try something and step out in faith... You, You need to obey him in faith if he's calling you to do that. The point is this, whatever, we're working for his glory and not our glory. And until we open up our hand and and say, God, every part of my life, even my work life, even my career, every part of what I do is on the table all the time. How do you guys want to be those kinds of people? 
The kind of people like Abraham who said, I have the spirit of anything. I will put everything on the table all the time. See, whenever we do that, that's when God opens the doors for us to do things. Now, if some of you guys may be facing a different direction right now, you're like, man, should I change jobs? Should I change what I'm doing? Do I need to make a change in my life? I have a decision in front of me. Let me give you four quick questions to help equip you that I gave our teenagers actually a few weeks ago that applied to decision making. Okay, here here they are. Four quick questions for you to ask yourself. Number one, is it helpful? In other words, in other words, does this make my life healthier? Does not just make my pocketbook thicker. Does this help me in my family relationships? Does this is this helpful? Does this if I do this next thing, is this uh, healthier overall, or is this just feeding my ambition and my ego? Is this helpful? Is this not just about money? But is this helpful to my relationships? Here's another way to put this. Can I, if I do this next thing, can I still be in community with other believers in a healthy way? If I take this next step, will I have time to serve other people as the Bible instructs me to do? If I, if I do this, can I live out Scripture faithfully and take this next step? Can, what is your life supposed to be all about? Is this helpful? Not just monetarily, even though that's a factor, but is it helpful Overall, question number two is this, is it godly? Because there's a lot of ways and a lot of things you can do in life, but are you just using other people to get up the ladder? Are you doing something that's kind of not really above board to do that? Is it godly? That should be just an obvious question, but I think we still need to ask it. Number three, and this is a big one, is it for me? Is it for me? Because just because you see someone else doing something and working for someone else, maybe it's not what God has for you. And it looks good on others. It doesn't mean it'll look good on you. And then finally, number four, is it for now? And this is where I think most of us struggle the most. Because God will place a dream in our heart, just like he did Joseph. And God gave him a dream that didn't happen for years and years and years. And he held on to that dream. Why didn't God make the dream happen that day? It's because if God would have given him the fulfillment, he would have squandered it. He wouldn't have used it right. God had to develop character and faithfulness and a track record, and he had to put the pieces in place. And I'm going to suggest today that for many of you right now, God has placed a dream in your heart. And instead of, you know, waiting for your Isaac like Abraham, you're making an Ishmael and you're forcing something to happen because you're impatient. And listen, God wants to lay it out. He wants to put the pieces in place. He's working behind the scenes. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean God isn't doing it. Amen? He's putting the pieces. Is it for now? So what do you do between the now and the then? We prepare. We prepare our hearts. We prepare our skills. We prepare our relationships. We prepare, our learn- we prepare between the now and the And the then. At the end of the day, guys, we only have one person to please. This is the message right here. At the end of the day, we only have one person to please. I'm here to please Jesus in every area of my life. I don't have to please my neighbors. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. I don't have to please my coworkers. I don't have to please. And and let me just say it this way and just kind of cut through the heart of it. Not to contradict what we just read, but you'll see what I'm saying here in a minute. I don't have to please my boss. As a, as a pastor, I don't have to please you guys. As, as a husband, I don't have to please my wife. As a father, I don't have to please my children. Here, here's why. If I please Jesus, I'll please my boss. 
I'll, we'll have a right relationship here. I'll have a right relationship there. Me, my kids will have a right relationship because I only have one person to please. Wherever you are, whatever you find yourself doing, work for Jesus. Serve Jesus. When at work, work for the glory of God. When at rest, rest for the glory of God. When at play, play to the glory of God. But do everything to the glory of God. Now, some of you guys are, are frustrated because you feel stuck where you're at. And I get that. And I've shown the clips today to illustrate that. And you say, man, I have prayed. I believe the time is now for something to change in this area of my life. And, and I just feel stuck. Has anybody ever felt there before? You don't have to be there today. But anybody ever felt that, that stuck feeling? Okay, my hand is up. I, feel, I felt that. Here, here's what I've learned. Sometimes God won't release us to something else. Because our heart or attitude isn't right where it needs to be right now. And if we could just let that go to God and say, God, I'm going to be faithful where you've got me right now. If you can't change it, the only thing to do is to have a right heart, isn't it? It's not to be frustrated. If, if you don't feel led to do something different, right, now, then the best thing is to have a right heart, to be faithful where you're at. I've shared this story a, a lot of times, but it's so important, uh, and I think we need to catch this, because when I was working construction with my dad, how, how many of you guys have ever worked with your dad as a teenager? Anybody ever done that before? How many guys, that was just really great? Anybody? That was just, that worked out really well, right? See, for some reason, for me, I'm one of those guys, and I always have been, that like had to get the last word. I think that's some, sometimes why God has me speak in front of people to kind of keep me accountable because what I say like impacts things and I have to be held accountable a little bit more. But I always had to do that with my parents. I, I, I just always got the last word in. It didn't work out very well. And so one point when I was 18, somehow I got fired and resigned at the same time. I don't know how that happened, but I found myself looking for other avenues of employment and uh, so I went and got a different job because things weren't working out. And, but I had this desire all along to be in the ministry, to be doing. I knew I was called to do this. And there was no opportunities. There was no doors. There was no path. It was just I was in this certain season with no opportunities, no doorways. Some of you guys are identifying with this right now. It's like I, I know where I'm supposed to be, but there's no door to even knock on. And as I was in this other job, God dealt with me and he said, that he wasn't going to move me on into this thing that I was called to until I got my heart right in the area with my dad. And that was like, I was like, no, surely not. That's not how you work. Get behind me, Satan. You know, that's not how that works. And, but I knew it. I knew it was right. And so I, I went and I resigned from my other job and I went and I asked my dad, I humbled, as an 18-year-old, this is really humbling, by the way. And I went back and I humbled myself and I asked him if I could have a job back. And I began to work faithfully there and faithfully. And God, you know, did amazing things. It was, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was a total change. And it was shortly into that that God began to open the doors into ministry in my life and begin to unfold the calling. I guarantee you, I promise you, had I not followed God in that area, things would not be the same as they are today. And so many of us right now, it could be a small little decision. It could be a tweak of the heart that could be holding things up. Not because God is a mean God and he wants to withhold things from you. No, but because he knows that you need to have the right heart to be able to handle what he's doing in you next. 
And unless we change that now, he won't be able to do that in us later. All right, Ephesians 6, 9, last scripture. I know it's been a little bit different message today, but here we go, last scripture. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with them. Now he's talking to the bosses. If you find yourself in that situation today, if you're a boss, don't take advantage of your employees. Don't use them. Don't abuse them. Here's the truth. We all have the same net worth before God. We all have the same net worth before God. Can we have the worship team come back up? We're going to close out today. This is an important key. And I had to learn, listen, because here's why. Whatever we have that others don't have becomes a source of pride in our life. Many times we get prideful because of things we have that others don't have. But we have to understand no matter where you're at, what, we all have the same net worth before God. At the end of our life, we all stand before God as equals. There's no one, there's no one who gets ahead of the line. One man is as sinful as the other. One man who's come into Christ is as righteous as the other. Why? Because God sees us through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I like to say it this way. Whenever I pray and I'm in my prayer time before God, I will go through these five questions that, there are five statements in my, my mind as I'm, I'm praying. And, and one of the statements that I say, and I will go over almost daily, is this. I will, stay, I will state that I am righteous before God. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done for me. And I sometimes have to hang out in that spot for a while because sometimes I don't feel righteous because of the, maybe the way the week has gone. But I know the truth is that Jesus gave me the gift of his righteousness when he died on the cross. And he gave me the gift of, of, of wiping away my sins. He gives me the gift of eternal life. Not because of what I've done, but because of everything that he has done. There's not one person on this planet right now who gets in ahead of me before God. Think of the most, I mean, we just saw Billy Graham, you know, pass away. You realize that as far as God is concerned... As far as the righteousness of God is concerned, we're all on level playing fields whenever we're in Christ. Think about that. And we can think about all these accolades and all these things and praise God for everything that, that God did through Billy Graham. A great example, marvelous example. But you know what? Because of the righteousness of God in Christ, in you and on you, you stand equal footing with anyone else on the planet because it's all about what Jesus has done. It's all about what he's done. At the end of our lives, we all stand before God as equals. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of Apple or the poorest in Haiti. It doesn't matter. We all have the same net worth. There's a story, and I'll just close up with this. There's a story in the scripture that Jesus tells about a rich man who in life, he had everything. I mean, he had fine linen, purple, whatever that means. He had a lot of stuff going on. And at his gate every day, there'd be a guy, a beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus was a poor man. He didn't have any money. He was just begging. In fact, he had sores on his skin that the dogs would lick up every day. Painful. He would just beg for the crumbs to fall off this rich guy's table. Well, as Jesus tells the story, both men die. And Lazarus goes to, essentially goes to heaven. And the rich man goes to hell. And there's a great gulf in between. It goes to Abraham's bosom, they, it, it's called. And so the rich man looks up. It's in torment and 
heat and all of that as, as it's described. And he looks up and he asks Abraham if he could somehow like take, have Lazarus take the tip of his finger and, and dip it in cool water just to cool the rich man's tongue. But Abraham says, no, it's not possible. There's a great gulf between us. Can't do it. And so the rich man is in torment and he says, but I've got brothers that need to hear the message. I don't want them to come here. Maybe if you would send them back to go tell him, send them back from the dead. And, and, and Abraham says, no, if they didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to someone who's come back from the dead. I believe that's a foreshadowing of, of what he was talking to the religious people of that day, that they had Moses and the prophets to proclaim the Messiah, that it didn't even matter if Jesus rose from the dead, they still wouldn't listen. And the, the, the point is this, there's several points in there, but one point for us today on our topic is that old saying that says at the end of, of someone's life, no one's going to care how much time you spent at the office. No one's going to care how much money you made, even though we're called to be faithful in that all along the way. The point is this, if we're going to spend our life, one third of our life doing something, we need to have God's heart and God's direction. We need to take care of the things that matter. Because when we get to the end of our life, those are the only things that's going to matter. It's not going to matter what you drive. It's not going to matter what you live in. It's not going to matter how much accomplishments you had. What matters is what you did in your heart and what you did with Jesus. That's all that's going to matter. So we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment as we get ready to close up. I just want to encourage you guys today, wherever you're at, This is an interesting topic. Some of you guys are really wrestling with that. Again, remember back to the one thing. What's the Holy Spirit telling you? The one thing throughout this message. But some of you are here and you got to understand this. You know, we talk about servants and slaves and all that today because the scripture was dealing with that. I want you to understand that Jesus humbled himself as the ultimate servant. God became flesh. He humbled himself. He laid down his life, paid the price, died on the cross, took away our sins, rose from the dead, and offers us life today. And my prayer today is that you would have eyes to see that, that you would have a heart that would open up to that. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you say, you know what, I have been doing my own thing, living my own life, doing it my own way. Things may be good or things may be bad. That's really irrelevant. The question is, what's the condition of your heart and what's the condition at the end of your life? What will you find important? And if you are here this morning and you say, Pastor Sean, I need to make a change. I need to surrender my heart to Jesus Christ. I need to start following Jesus. I need to say, yes, I can hear his call right now. Listen, if you feel that right now, I just want to pray for you. The Bible says that if we will, whatever we believe in our heart, if we'll confess that with our mouth, that we'd be saved. If right now you feel that coming in, you say, I need to, I need to put my trust and my faith and my hope and my life in the hands of Jesus and begin to follow him. I want to help you do that. I want to pray with you today. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand and put it right back down all over the building this morning? All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, lift up your hand. Thank you back there. We're going to pray together. I I don't know how many people raised their hands, several. But I'm going to ask all of us to pray, whether you've prayed before or not, just in unison. And we're just going to pray some simple words, but you have to provide the meaning behind it. You have to provide the faith. I'm going to help you with the words. 
Let's all just say this like we mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for taking my place, for wiping away all my sins, for raising from the dead and giving me a brand new life. I receive grace by faith right now. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I just thank you for those who prayed that prayer, many maybe for the first time. But I pray that you would help them to recognize right now that today is not the finish line, it's the starting line of a brand new life. That right now, all the old has passed away. Everything in the past has been shredded up. There's no record. Right now, they have been made right in right standing with you because of what you've done on the cross. Lord, I pray that they would recognize that they have a brand new spiritual DNA on the inside of them, that they are brand new creations, that they can walk in newness of life. They've crossed from darkness into light. And because of that, we celebrate. We thank you so much for that. Come on, can we just celebrate Jesus this morning? Amen. Let's stand up and let's worship. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.